Hello and welcome back to Pictorial and Relay FM. I'm Quinn Rose and I didn't go to art school, but that doesn't stop me from being a lifelong learner about art and art history. And I'm Betty. I also didn't go to art school, but I am also a lifelong learner of art. And today I'm actually going to tell you about something that I saw when I was a a little child. So to prove that I have always been interested in art. (laughs) I am so excited to hear all about this. Yeah, so I think a while ago we mentioned that we tend to talk quite a bit more about contemporary art on this podcast because, you know, we just happen to talk about stuff we like. So, you know, to give the ancient art a bit of airtime, today I'm going to be talking about something that's more than 2,000 years old. I think I might have mentioned on this podcast a few times that um, I, so I grew up in China, uh, specifically, I grew up in this city called Xi'an, uh, which is in Shanxi province. Um, it's it's a really big city. I think it has more than 8 million people, but compared to some other cities in China, it's actually smaller so not probably not everyone has heard of this place but usually when i mention this other fact people are like okay i have heard of this place um it is a just outside of the city is this ancient monument uh called the tomb of the chin emperor but it's more commonly known as the terracotta army have you heard of this place quinn i have I think I probably have the impression of this that just the average layperson has, which is I have heard of the Terracotta Army. I can for some reason visualize them in my mind, but I do not know anything about them. Yeah, that's no problem. So what comes to mind for you like when you when you think of it? When I just hear the phrase Terracotta Army, what I picture is just a whole fleet of statues um, of army figures like like men <laughs> statues of little uh, for some reason i think that they're not life-sized i think that they're i believe that they're smaller than life-size is that true i think they are mostly life-size although i do think some figures are like smaller than what an average person is today but maybe because people back there weren't as tall <laughs> i'm not entirely certain okay that may just be an effect of the other half of my memory of this which is that they're they're displayed like lower (laughs) like that they're displayed that you're not level with them they're like under you and this is based on one just sort of cultural osmosis and two i definitely have seen these or at least seen a portion of them um when i was quite young and i don't clearly don't remember them super well but i remember enough that this was a thing that people were talking about that like adults in my life were talking about we're going to see the terracotta army and i was like cool i don't really know what that means cuz i'm a child <laughs> yeah no actually um you are correct about the lower than or displayed lower than eye level um so actually if you click on the first image I have put in the show note that is a pretty typical shot of the main exhibit hall in Xi'an of where you would go see the terracotta army and you are so if you look at the picture on the side you see like people like it looks like you're in a big stadium and then there's people on all four sides looking down in a pit except instead of seeing a sporting event you're seeing all these statues so probably the reason they appear smaller is because like they're far away <laughs> and it, it like at certain angles, they almost look miniature. But then with this picture, when you when you have like a person to scale in the background, you can see it's it's a pretty huge pit. 
That makes sense. That was even as I was saying, like, are they smaller than life size? I'm like, I think that that's just a matter of like perspective of my memory of like seeing them and seeing pictures of them or whatever. But then I was like, that's probably not actually true, right? They're just it's just the way that you add it kind of a distance to them. Yeah, for sure. And um, I just put a um, picture, like uh, another picture just underneath that. And so that's an example of what you're probably remembering. Um, And I looked this up. So in 2009, there was a traveling exhibition that went around, I think most, I think uh, it was only a North American show, but there might have been other incarnations on like in Europe and other places. But I remember seeing it at the Royal Ontario Museum in Toronto. Um, but it, it went to like a whole bunch of other cities um, in you know North America as well. Specifically, which ones I can't remember. Um, but it's I think it started in San Francisco. So this is probably what you're remembering because this was I think one of the largest fleet of these figures that have ever left China. And it also included some new discoveries that they had discovered within a few years of this show. Um, And the reason it's significant is because the Terracotta Army is one of those exhibitions that is the museum is in situ, as in where they discovered it. They never moved it. They just dug around it, revealed it, and build a building over top of it. Like, as in, instead of taking things out of the tomb or wherever they discovered it and putting it in a museum somewhere, it's actually, like, it, it never left where it was buried. And, and and for the longest time, you know, um, the Chinese government was very like, oh, we don't want these to leave because, you know, they're old and super fragile. And also, we want them to be seen in their, you know, original where they were but you know through various reasons it was they did allow some to travel and so it was really significant because I think up until 2009 the only way to kind of see them especially a a bunch of them was to go to China to go to Xi'an <laughs> so nobody else could really see it um and until until you know 2009 which was great because I think they're really cool <laughs> that is really cool and that's i Really cool how that was handled. I have so many questions, but I want to start with this just to clarify. How many statues are there in the whole thing and how many went traveling? So first of all, not not everything has been excavated. So of everything that has been excavated, so I, the statistic I found was from 2007. I don't think they've done more too much more since then. So at the time, there are 8,000 soldiers, 130 chariots, 520 horses, 150 cavalry horses, and a whole bunch of other things, which I'll talk about in a little bit. But basically, there are thousands and thousands of figures, and I believe a few hundred went traveling. So, like, it's still a tiny portion of what you would actually see if you, uh, you know, go to Xi'an. So I would recommend, like, if anybody has seen the 2009 show, it is, like, 10 to 100-fold in terms of like immenseness when you actually go in person. Wow. So I saw this show when I was uh, like, I so I, I lived about like a 30 minute drive from this site and I went when I was like seven. So this is a very long time ago, <laughs> obviously. Um, and, you know, it was like I was a kid, but I, I do have like really vivid memories of going to it because I just remember going like, this is huge and this is like, really cool obviously right now like we're recording this in 2022 and you can't really go to china very easily so you know if you don't already live in china you're probably not gonna be able to go anytime soon but in the future (laughs) when things are different 
This is like equality for the whole world, except for one specific region. We are all equal in our inability <laughs> to access this. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, I'll give you a bit of a background kind of on how this this whole thing um, came to be. Um, so this place, like for the longest time, um, it's uh, I've known it as Bing Maiyong, which in Mandarin me- literally means soldier and horse tomb figures. Um, which Perfect. Is exact- straight to the point. <laughs> yeah, it's very like straight to the point. Um, so like we mentioned, it's a really huge collection of thousands of terracotta sculptures. Um, and it mostly depicts the armies of this dude <laughs> named Qin Shi Huang, which means the first... Oh, sorry, it means Qin, comma, first emperor. Um, and so he is uh, or was technically the first emperor of China. And he died in 210 BCE. Uh, so this is more than 2000 years ago. Um, and this was a army that was built for him to surround his tomb and to commemorate uh, him as a person, uh, but also his military, like huge military that uh, he developed through his lifetime. Um, And uh, just, yeah, just the guy who not only was very proud of his achievements, but also was like, I'm going to build the biggest army ever, even in death. Everything in modern art history is like, here's a person who is depressed and poor. (laughs) And everything in ancient art history is like, here's this one guy who was extremely rich and powerful, and he decided to just really go for it. Yeah, for sure. And it is, so I actually didn't, um, or I may have learned these facts like, you know, years ago when I was a kid, but I, I didn't really remember it until I kind of started researching for this episode. But uh, I found out that apparently he actually started planning for this tomb when he was 13 years old. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, so he ascended to the throne uh, of, so actually, let me backtrack. Yeah, so he was born in 259 BCE. At the time, he was born into this kingdom called Qin, and it wasn't all of what is China as we know it today. It's a, it's a small portion of China today. Um, and at the time, uh, it was called the Warring States period. Basically, there were like seven or eight distinct states in that region that were all fighting with each other, um, and Qin was one of them. And he ascended to the throne of Qin when he was 13 years old, and he immediately started planning for his death which is kind of weird like (laughs) i mean i guess i appreciate that he had foresight but it seems like a really young age to start thinking about it yeah it's it is pretty pretty weird but it, it kind of you know makes a little bit sense then when you think of like what kind of person he became uh, later, when he was like 38 at 221 BCE, he ended up merging uh, the seven warring states into one nation. And this is kind of it's not it's obviously not exactly China's territories today, but it's, you know, like a pretty significant portion of it, which is why this guy is kind of credited as the first emperor of China because, you know, he he was the one who united all these territories. Obviously, he did it through force. <laughs> he went and, you know, with his army and invaded and killed probably like millions of people is the estimate. So, you know, not very nice 
person. But Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's not the hero of this story or anything. <laughs> no. So Chen Shi Huang is, like, obviously, that's the name he took, like, you know, when he became emperor. Um, and, like, his uh, his birth name is Ying Zheng. Um, but ever since he was 13, he was just known as the king, king of Chen. You know, he was, so as far as I know, he's the first person in this region to call himself not just king, but emperor. And so subsequent Chinese emperors, like, all used emperor as the title instead of king because he kind of set this precedent. Um, and But the other thing is, um, like, not only was he the first emperor, he kind of did leave this legacy of, like, imperialism and kind of, like, these, like, central bureaucratic ruling styles um, that... It lasted from when he became emperor at like in you know in 221 BCE up until 1911. Like there were obviously oh, wow. many many different dynasties. So his dynasty only actually lasted for 15 years. It, it Qin fell about four years after he died. Like his his son was not, like did not know how to rule a country. Um, so even though this this was a really short lived dynasty, like he set a precedent for just basically the way emperors and and imperial governments would rule china for like the next 2000 years so it isn't kind of it isn't just about like unifying the territories it it really is kind of about like him setting the tone for rest of china and one could still argue china is still a very bureaucratic centralized nation today so you know even though technically it's not an imperial nation anymore it, it still has Kind of those characters, one could argue. <laughs> that's quite a legacy. Yeah. So, and and I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, his site, like studying the stuff that he built is really interesting to a lot of historians. So over this period of like 40 years, so he, he died when he was, um, I think just around when he was 50 years old. I think he had just almost or just turned 50. So he wasn't very old. Um, but because he had been planning it since he was a kid, uh, apparently in this time, there were about 720,000 artisans and builders and laborers who contributed to this complex because, uh, you know, he he may have been the person who, who came up with the idea. He did not carry out any of the work, obviously. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, and I'm sure all of these people had humane working conditions <laughs> and were paid for their labor. Yeah, so... I actually read this like horrifying fact, but it is not, it's not known for sure if this is the case. So a lot of the information about the Qin Emperor's life came from this book uh, written by this person from the Han Dynasty about a hundred years later. His name is Qian Sima. And he, because it's the dynasty after Qin, they don't, they obviously, they were the ones who overthrew him. So this is a really unfavorable writing of him as a person. I mean, he probably was not a very nice person. <laughs> he was responsible for the death of millions. But this writing was just like, basically just trashed him completely. Um, according to this person, what, like, so when the artisans, when the people finished the, the main tomb, apparently he ordered that all of them be sealed inside so that they had they were basically just like left to die there because he was afraid that invading armies would figure out the location of his tomb and and try to come like pillage it which they actually did so his fear wasn't completely unfounded it's just his solution is so everybody who's worked on the construction of my tomb you will die with it so that you can't tell people where it is well that sucks according to a historian who you know was writing 100 years later so not everything is totally accurate but 
It's as close as we can get for someone who's lived in 2000 or so years ago. Yeah, it's like it could be hearsay, but also it like it sounds in character, you know. Yeah, for sure. And after he died, he had passed, you know, the leadership onto his son, who, according to historians, was just like really dumb and incompetent. Um, And so the invading army basically um, took over within like four years. Um, And so in this account by Sima Chan is apparently the Han um, army who invaded Xi'an did actually pillage some of the tombs. So the word did get out where it is, uh, where it was. And parts of it was actually raided. So even after discovering this, uh, archaeologists did find evidence of like parts of it was burned down and destroyed and there were things that seem like it's missing. So yeah, unfortunately, not everything survived, uh, but a good portion of it did survive, which is good for us, um, but uh, not good for all the people who died for no reason. It is. It honestly is pretty amazing how much of it did survive, though. Well, yeah, for sure. Um, so we, we had known that this mausoleum this tomb this whatever existed for thousands of years because it was written in this book um and, and the book is actually called the records of the grand historian and so and it was written yeah it was written one uh about like 140 bce so everybody knew it existed but no one knew where it was for two thousand years wow um, and until so in 1974, um, there were a bunch of farmers. Um, so it's a guy named Yang Zhifa and um, his neighbor Wang Puzhi and his five brothers. They were digging for a well, and then they came across like these what they thought to be like clay or terracotta like pieces. And then they kind of like dug a bit more and they realized it was broken pieces of a clay figure. And they had no idea what it was at the time, but they basically, you know, just kind of told everybody they found, they found these like pretty cool, like what looked like, you know, like art that's pretty old. No idea. Didn't know how old it was. Cause I think at the time they sold it for like 10 yuan, which is not very much. Um, but then archaeologists apparently got a hold of these and were like, uh, this, this is, this might be where this tomb is. So. In 1976, um, like archaeologists officially came and started digging, and they eventually found hundreds and hundreds of pits. And so, what you usually uh, would see when you Google terracotta army is you're seeing pit one, uh, which is the main pit where the vast majority of the fi- of the figures that we've discovered. So, if you click on the link that says pit one, that's what you would see of like the rows and rows of um, soldiers. And then there's the second pit, which is um, much smaller, and it has like cavalry and infantry units and like chariots, and this is where a bunch of like the horses are. This one is one of those where they found evidence of plundering and, and burning down and pillaging because most of the figures were found broken. Like if you click on a picture, you'll find they're like smashed, they don't have heads. And I read that this one, they're still excavating parts of it. And then the third pit is the smallest one, and and it only has 68 terracotta figures, and it's like a military command post, and it also has a bunch of figures without heads. So when you go see this exhibition, you would basically go to uh, these three pits. Apparently, there is a pit four, but it's completely empty, and they think there was actually plans to build actually a much bigger army, but, you know, I guess he died, and (laughs) they were like, okay, I guess we're done now. (laughs) So... (laughs) 
Wait, okay. I have I have two things. Yeah. One, I did not realize that they only uncovered this about 50 years ago. I thought it was earlier than that. That's wild. Because when you mentioned earlier, they haven't, they're still uncovering stuff. I was like, wow, that's taking a while. But I guess it really hasn't. <laughs> yeah, I know. It, it, They've been they've been digging um, very slowly and very carefully for for decades. But yeah, it wasn't it, it really is a recent phenomenon. Like when my parents were born, these were not discovered yet. <laughs> wow. But my other thing is, what is the deal with all of the missing heads? Is there a thing there or what? Okay, so a really interesting thing about these figures is lower down on the on the show notes, I have a making of the terracotta warrior uh, image, and this shows the various parts of the figure, like head, torso, arms, legs. They were actually made separately, and maybe by se- separate artisans, and then they all were put together in the end. So either. They never finished the heads <laughs> or those just went missing uh, or they fell off, you know, because of time. They would basically like make it in clay and then fire it. And then actually most of them were painted because similar to a lot of Greek and Roman statues, um, like when you they're discovered thousands of years later, all you see is like the stone, the rock or the clay. Um, and we think that's what it was. But actually when you, when archaeologists inspect like the surfaces, they realize there's traces of paint. Um, so there is actually a... Uh, a link I have, which is recreated terracotta sho- uh, terracotta so- soldiers, which shows you like an idea of what they would have looked like when they were done like 2000 years ago. Obviously, almost all the colors have flaked off at this point. These were like incredibly detailed and they were made in like separate locations. Okay, that explains so much because when I'm looking at these pictures and I was thinking, it's not that unusual to think that a, a lot of heads would have been damaged or knocked off at various points in, in whatever process, um, whether before or after discovery. But the thing that was getting me is that the collars were all in place, but the heads are missing. And I was like, how have they all, all the heads got knocked off, but the collars are still there so cleanly. But that makes sense if the head is made separately and either it never got attached or it comes off more cleanly than it would if it was actually just one piece from the beginning. None of these were made, you know, with like machinery or anything like sophisticated as as far as we know, they were all handmade. Um, And so what's really cool is every single soldier's face is totally different, just like how real people, you know, like are have different faces. Um, So like every face is unique. Uh, Like the artisans did use molds, but I think like the intricacies of the facial features were all hand carved. So yeah, like every everyone looks different and and like it really it looks like a real army, like frozen in time. That's an incredible choice to have that attention to detail in customizing the faces when you are making so many. And and like clearly that's some kind of uniform streamlined process if they're making these parts separately and assembling. And you're like, oh, that's that such like an assembly line image. But then they're like, no, but every face is handcrafted to be different and not to be the same as the, as the guy next to him. That's so interesting. Yeah. So like it, it really has you know, it's like a preserved time capsule of like, you know, artwork, like, you know, from artisans 2000 years ago. But I think the other reason why it's really interesting to historians is that it has a lot of like content about, you know, what life or people or at least in the military would have been like um, back in the Qin Dynasty, because 
historians have gotten so much information just about like clothing, hairstyles. Um, there's a lot of uh, weapons, like real weapons that were found. Um, so like there's like swords and daggers and all kinds of all kinds of weaponry. So we can study like what weapons they used back then. Um, and then uh, supposedly the hairstyles, apparently at the time, different hairstyles signified your rank in the military. So historians were able to like actually know exactly what these hairstyles look like through these preserved figures um because you know there was no photos from back then <laughs> so that is so handy what a cool little way to be able to figure stuff out about the past yeah it's it's really great and um i think i also have a picture in there of two bronze carriages or or it might be the picture might be of one of them but they found these uh two bronze carriages and they were um again they're life size of like you know horses um and carriages and apparently it is like one of the biggest and most well preserved just pieces of artwork in general from the bronze age like of, or like of like bronzeware like in general in the world i don't think i've ever seen an image of this um carriage before anything really outside of the the basic soldier figures um which is really cool to see some more not that they aren't all like extremely impressive but a greater level of intricacy and within the last few decades as they unearth like more things they did find a lot more than just um like army people they they found these pits with like non-military figures so there were like other government officials apparently there's lots of acrobats um and musicians and just kind of like just everyday people that you could find like in the king's palace or sorry emperor's palace um that, so that was one of the like features of this 2009 exhibition. It was to be like, hey, like, you know, this actually this wasn't it wasn't just military figures. There's so many other things. So it's it's kind of like a time capsule of the emperor's palace, like buried in a in a tomb. <laughs> wow. The most exciting thing. I think anyway, about this tomb, which a lot of people don't actually know. And I did know this because, you know, I went there and I was kind of told about this is the case. Most of this tomb have actually not been excavated yet. Oh, so not just some of it, most of it. Yeah. So um, so there's the last picture I have uh, on there is called a tomb map. So what you'll see is on the bottom right hand corner of this map, number six is the terracotta army. So this is like the three major pits that I just mentioned where they found pretty much all these like 8,000 like statues and horses. To the west of it is this giant complex where they think Chin is buried. So where he's buried, this area has barely been touched. Like they know where it is. They have like x-rays and like sensors that they can, They've archaeologists have used to detect what's down there and they have an idea of like the size and shape but it has not been touched at all oh my god wait is it is it just a matter of time and resources or is there a reason that they haven't touched it there's a few reasons. So time and resources is one of them, because as you can tell, like if there were like 8,000 that were uncovered in just this tiny bit on the bottom right, the rest would take a lot more time. And back in 1976, China did not have the type of resources they do now. Today, they probably could do this. But the reason they don't is because 
currently with technology and or with what they think is going to happen, unearthing it will result in a lot of these figures like disintegrating. So what happened is when the terracotta, when these soldiers were discovered um, and when archaeologists started digging, some of the figures, when they first dug it up, actually had a lot of the paint on it. Like they can, it's, it's like almost completely what it was 2000 years ago but within like five minutes the paint started to 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 fall off and flake off oh my gosh which is which is why like again it's taking them decades to dig not because it's difficult to dig it's because it has to be in these such pristine like conditions where they make sure they're digging with like like if you've ever seen pictures of like archaeologists with the smallest like that's why because it's like so fragile one of the problems is so Xi'an is actually really dry I remember from my childhood so um, it's also one of the if it was in a different climate that might not actually happen but because of the dry air it, it makes it extra difficult to be able to preserve things that get exposed to oxygen so the director of the museum um, I found a quote where he said he says uh, and this was like recently, he said, um, I don't think we have very good scientific techniques to protect what we find in the underground palace, especially if we come across things like paper, silk, or textiles from plants and animals. Um, he said it would be a tragedy if these things were kept in perfect balance for 2000 years and then we like open it and they they're gone. Um, so they think we still to this day don't have the technology or, or the ability to ensure that this can be preserved you know, for generations onward. Um, so they're waiting for a time in the future, supposedly, where we could uncover it. I'm experiencing the feminine urge to become an archaeologist <laughs> and develop techniques to help uncover <laughs> yeah. this space. This is, it, it's really, there is just, I think the exciting thing is there is still so much more to be discovered and still so much more work that can be done. Chances are even you and I are not going to, even if we can go to China and like see this, we're not going to see this mausoleum in our lifetimes. We'll see. Uh, unless you become an archaeologist, Quinn, and figure out a way to <laughs> preserve um what we discover in there well anything could happen i guess so uh, the other thing that's interesting i found and this is this might be a secondary reason that they don't want to they don't want to dig like too soon or or without being totally prepared um so uh, oh i forgot to mention so one of the reasons um chin wanted to build this army was because even from an early age he was obsessed with being immortal, like immortality, which is kind of ironic since he died when he was like 50. Um, so like he built the army because he wanted to supposedly have like an army to protect him in the afterlife, uh, just like how he had it in his life life. <laughs> Um, but the other thing was like, he spent a lot of time, like getting people to, uh, discover like an elixir of immortality. And he was under the impression that drinking mercury would (gasps) (laughs) extend your life, which is probably why I did it. Oh no. Um, so in Sima Chan's uh, book, so even though a lot of the historic facts were not exactly sure how accurate it is, it actually probably is pretty good because it was written in his book that the emperor was obsessed with like mercury. When uh, scientists did testing in the soil of where the tomb is, they found like a tremendous high concentration of mercury. So the problem is, so for the scientists who are, who are working to excavate this, they could be exposed to more mercury poisoning. <laughs> so 
so, no. But I think it is really interesting because they do think that there is kind of like a mini like microcosm of Xi'an, which at the time uh, was known as, known as Xianyang. Um, so they, they think there's like a miniature version of the city down there. And we could just, if we could go in and, and see what's there, it, it really could be like even more of a time capsule than what we've already discovered. So it is really exciting. Um, but you and I can't go there to see it at all. And even the people there can't see it because they can't just start digging. Well, hopefully someday they'll be able to figure it out and be able to actually uncover this stuff while being able to preserve it. I have faith that eventually we'll develop the technology. So one day. Yeah, I agree. And I, I am glad in the meantime that they are being careful about it instead of just going, oh, let's see what's down there. Because, you know, like <laughs> humans are curious and we just want to be there so i'm glad archaeologists exist to be like um hold on like do don't. not open pandora's box put the box down <laughs> anyway um yeah so it was it's kind of it was it's been great to reminisce about uh this show that i saw many many years ago hopefully i can see it again one day but i am not holding my breath <laughs> well thanks so much for sharing this with me i learned so much today about something that I had rattling around in the back of my brain with no actual information to latch on to. So this has been really cool. Also, before we end today, I just want to give everybody a heads up that not the next episode. Next episode will be a normal topic brought to you by me. But two episodes from now, we are going to do a little movie club, TV club kind of thing on the Netflix miniseries, This is a Robbery, the World's Biggest Art Heist. It's a four-part miniseries, comes in in about a little under four hours. So if you want to just listen, we'll provide contacts on the episode, obviously. But if you want to watch it before that point, uh, and then just come join us for the discussion in two episodes, now's your advance warning to do that. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode today. Uh, you can find our show notes and links to all the great stuff that Betty talked about at relay.fm slash pictorial. You can also follow us on Twitter or Instagram at pictorialpod. And if you'd like to follow me on Instagram, I'm at aspiringrobotfm. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, I am at ArticulationsV. And I'm also on YouTube as Articulations. And speaking of YouTube, we also have a YouTube channel for Pictorial Podcast, where we usually upload the video version of the audio podcast a few weeks after release. Um, and you can take a look at all the, all the interesting terracotta figures in this video, because chances are you won't be able to see it in person anytime soon. Thanks for listening, art enthusiasts.